there are people actually laying on the ground. There's a lot of like theories on magic and vortexes and things like that <laughs> around the pyramid. Right. So there's people like sucking in the energy, you know, laying on the ground. And you can just sit there and it's like super peaceful in contrast to everybody trying to sell you stuff the second you go out. Welcome to the Crossing It Off podcast, where we believe living with intention through a bucket list lifestyle is a great way to bring yourself personal joy. As you are crossing items off your list, you're actually filling up your bucket. The more items you cross off, the more joy gets added, until eventually your joy spills over into the lives of those around you. Now let's start crossing it off together. Hey bucket listers, do you have an intention for your bucket lists? Today our bucket list storyteller shares how the intention of her list is to share the world with her two young daughters. Sure, the items she crosses off with them come from her own list, but as you will hear, the intention behind visiting sites like the Great Pyramids of Giza and others is to expand the young minds of those she loves the most. Now let's get crossing it off. Stephanie Tolk is a mother and a world schooler, an adventure traveler, and an entrepreneur. Stephanie, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Roger. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah, that's awesome. We are definitely in two different places in the world. You're in Guatemala and I'm (laughs) here and stuck in Chicago. Uh, Tell us, what did you cross off your bucket list? I got to walk into the center of the Great Pyramid at Giza. To me, you'll have to you'll have to help me out because to me, it's like I can understand seeing it, right? I can understand going and visiting it, but you got to go inside. Is that normal? Is that something that was special? And where did that come from as like a desire uh, for you? I mean, I wish it were special. Like what traveler doesn't wish they had some like secret backdoor backstage mm-hmm. pass to things like that? No, uh, you can do it. You can, I mean, yeah, get yourself to Cairo drive a little bit to Giza, which is its own city, and uh, be there. But it is possible. So when you buy your entry to the pyramids, there's like one ticket um, to go see the three main ones that are out in the desert there. And then there's an extra ticket to go inside the pyramids. Uh, So I took my kids. I've got two daughters who are 11 and 13. My husband decided he didn't need to have that in his life. It is, I think it was something like $75. Like it's, it's a significant right. uh, addition to the ticket, but to me it was worth it. And so where did this come from for you? Why, why was this something that you wanted to achieve or accomplish? What, what was the drive to make it happen? So this was actually part of a year long journey that my family took. We're actually from near where you're from. We're from Portland, Oregon. And I had grown up um, as an exchange student a couple times, traveled with my family. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa. Um, my husband and I honeymooned in Southeast Asia. So we'd had a lot of pretty significant life-changing travel experiences and always knew we wanted to take our kids out of the country for a significant amount of time. And finally made it happen in September of 2021 after a COVID pause or delay. So going to Egypt was one of the many amazing things we did in 11 months. And for me, going to Egypt was just a lifelong dream. And, you know, sometimes these dreams are like, can't really put your finger on why it's so important to you, Mm -hmm. like what it is. It's just, it's sort of like, why do you like chocolate ice cream and not mint chip? Like you just do, right? right? Like, so for me, going to Egypt was 
just a dream. I think seeing those pyramids my whole life, whether it's in a movie or on a calendar or on a TV show, like there's just this mystery and this magic to that place. And it just drew me to it. So when we were creating this journey and we were all sort of chiming in with what we wanted, you know, what our bucket list item was to me, it was stand, to stand beside those pyramids. And I didn't know until I got there that I could go inside. So what's that experience like? You're standing on the outside, you're seeing these amazing structures and you can go inside. What is that experience when you walk in? Describe that to us. Well, sort of the context is really important because outside is pure chaos. So there's two gates to get into the pyramids, the, the area. And I think one gate brings in tour buses and it might be a kind of a more established entrance we kind of found ourselves at this other like back door entrance um because we were staying in Giza so we stayed in a hotel the night before and there's like a bunch of kind of narrow hotels sort of like Amsterdam style tall skinny buildings you can go up to the top of these hotels most of them have like the rooftop restaurant and you're literally having breakfast like with the sphinx behind you it is like out of this world And so we'd already seen them. And then like right down on the street, there's just like this little window. It almost looks like a takeout window. And that's like where you get your ticket. And there's tons of guides and everybody, you know, they see foreigners and everybody just came right at our family. Like not only do we look like foreigners, but I'm sure we look American. And there's all these associations with being American. And they've been coming off of COVID and shutdowns and really you know, just limited funds for the, the workers and the guides. So we we knew we wanted a guide and we found this person and he helped us buy the tickets. And it's just like nobody lines up. Everybody's just clumped and it's crazy. People are trying to sell stuff. And, and then there's all this talk about how to get to the pyramids, which they're right there. But everybody says it's too far to walk and you have to either take a horse carriage or a camel or a car and we kept being like but they're right there <laughs> like oh no it's it's way farther than it looks so we got kind of sucked in it wasn't it was like maybe a 15 minute walk but we got right. sucked in more money out you know took a horse carriage and then when you're up there there's all these people with camels so when you see those pictures of like the three pyramids and the tourists on the camel it's this whole thing that they're selling you where you go out right. to a certain spot for this photo And it was sort of like an incessant selling atmosphere. So I just, I wanted to paint that picture because going in the pyramid was like this little haven of quiet and solitude. One of the great things about world schooling is that, you know, if you're engaged in your children learning, you're also learning alongside them. So we had been studying and reading about how these pyramids were built, what they looked like, how they got the stones there. Was it a whole bunch of slaves? Were they paid? Like we kind of had a lot of information in our heads, which was really helpful. So we knew that the place we would be walking was the place that the workers walked when they put the sarcophagus of the pharaoh inside and then left and closed it. It wasn't like some trail for travelers. It was like the actual path that the people took when they closed the pharaoh in and left. So that felt really powerful to me. You you climb a little bit up. There's like a little few stairs. You're maybe 10 feet up from the base of the pyramid. And there's somebody taking the ticket. 
and you go in and you you sort of have to crouch down. And hmm. a lot of people, there's a lot of talk about like if you're claustrophobic, you might want to not do this. There's some lights, it's pretty dark, and you're you're for me, I'm five seven, I'm kind of hunched over. Um, and you just go straight in, and then the space opens up into I think they call it the gallery, and it's like a more of a ramp going up, and it's like soaring ceiling above you, but it's still this like narrow passageway with just stone on either side of you. So you're going up and suddenly like you can't really see the top because it's quite dark. And then you get in in the middle and it was pretty warm in there. And there's just a rectangular room that was maybe like, I'm going to guess like 20 feet by 15 feet and 30 foot ceilings. And then on one end is this massive stone sarcophagus. So this was the external place that the pharaoh was put and he would have been inside probably at least two other interior sarcophagi, like right. his mummy. Right. And this was the one that nobody could remove because it's this massive, heavy piece of stone. And that's it. And it's quiet and warm and sort of like like this cozy, I want to say womb-like, which is not a term I usually use, but like <laughs> this cozy, this cozy, warm, dark space. There are people actually laying on the ground. There's a lot of like theories on magic and vortexes and things like that <laughs> around the pyramid. Right. So there's people like sucking in the energy, you know, laying on the ground and you can just sit there and it's like super peaceful in contrast to everybody trying to sell you stuff the second you go out. And to me, you know, just being inside something that was five, 4,500, 5,000 years old built in this total other era of human existence and culture was just so powerful. If there's something, you know, if somebody you ran into somebody and you're talking to them and they say, Oh, I've got that on my bucket list. What's the one thing that you would like recommend that they do or prepare themselves for you know, besides yeah. just doing it? You know, what, what's something that you would say to them that they need to think about was, as they're going about making it the best experience they can? That's a good question. I think, you know, it's sort of priced, at least for me, in a way that's like I had to really think about whether or not I wanted to pay to do it and and treat my kids who you know are they were 10 and 12 and there's always the question of are they going to remember it is it going to have the impact and I just I'm so happy we did it I I just my recommendation would be if you have the funds you're not going to not be able to pay your gas bill like do it because when else are you going to get to, you know, that's these bucket list experiences. They're not always cheap, but when else am I going to go into the freaking grand pyramid? Like, right. It's, it's not filled with gold. You know, it's not, there's not like, it's not like that, but it's just for me being in touch with that piece of history in that very visceral way is not something you you can get anywhere else if you're interested in ancient Egypt. So let's step back just a little bit. You you talked about taking your girls in there. You talked about that you're on this this long trip outside of the United States. What we can talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But what was the immediate thing you saw in your girls? Were they like this is really cool, or this is this is stupid? Let's go mm. home. I miss my phone. What's the what was the yeah. reaction from your girls? Sort of contemplative, I think. And we've, we've been able to do a few things like this that 
to me have been like these bucket list goals. But I guess I realized two things. One thing I realized when I started this world schooling journey is that as adults, we are so informed by movies, books, TV, posters, all all the places that these sites show up. We just we were we absorb them since we're little. Um, but when you're a kid, you don't really have that context. So they knew of the mm. pyramids. Um, we also got to go to the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, which is, you know, like a 1,500-year-old mosque. It was a church. It's incredible. They had never heard of it. Like, no right. no context. Just didn't didn't get how, how old this building was, how it had withstood all these earthquakes. Like, just they didn't have the context. So the pyramids, they did have a little bit of context, but they weren't as, like, inundated and all of that as I had been Mm in my 40s so what I find is like I actually have to kind of make it weighty like put weight to it for them and I have to like I have to give them that context so I will literally sit there in these places and be like you guys like let me just I gotta like like, let me tell you what this is all about so this thing was built almost 5,000 years ago what was going on in the world 5,000 years ago Here at the Crossing It Off Podcast, we are passionate about inspiring you in your bucket list lifestyle and empowering you to live out your list. We offer many resources to assist you in your bucket list journey, such as web resources in the show notes, bucket list mentoring services, my book, Live Out Your Lists, a private Facebook group for you to share your bucket list success stories with others, and more. All of these can be found at crossingitoffpodcast.com. Find the resource that fits your need so that you can live out your list. Now back to the show. We've talked a lot about the religion, the mythology, which, you know, in Egypt, like Anubis and Osiris and Horus were gods, like just like Jesus is for some people now. So like I try to just in these places, like this is experiential learning, really give it all that context and that weight and that history that it deserves and that they deserve to really understand where they are. What was the experience like for you? You said early on in this conversation that this was something you like you had always thought about, that it was always kind of drew you, you said to it. Was it everything you expected? Was it, was it more? How did you feel when you ducked your head back down under and came out into the chaos? It was everything I expected. I mean, I, I think I had built it up. But it met those expectations. You know, you read online and people are like, there's nothing to see. It's empty. Like, it's basically empty except for one rectangle of stone. But I wasn't I wasn't going in there thinking there were, like, paintings and carvings. Like, I, I, just, I just wanted to be in the center of it. I just had this vision, this massive pyramid I've seen my whole life and, like, my little body being in the middle. And so, like, when I was, I was psyched. Although I, I'll also say, I don't know if you've heard this from other guests or if you felt this, but a little bit of like sadness that that piece has happened, like mm. that I did cross it off and I don't have it anymore. So there's a little bit of that too. I think when after I was done with walking the Camino de Santiago, I felt a little bit of that um, there in the, in the final plaza standing in front of the cathedral. Yeah. But I also feel like that got overtaken with um, what's next. Right. And I accomplished something. So I wasn't sad that it was over. 
I know people that like want to just finish the Camino and turn around and do it again. <laughs> they, just, mm. they would do it over and over again for the rest of their lives if they could. And that's not me. I am drawn to it. I, I would like to do it again. But at the same time, when I was standing there looking up at those spires of that cathedral, I was just like, what's next? Let's go. Let's, you know, yeah. it gave me that confidence. So I appreciate that. How do you think that this whole experience of, of world schooling has has impacted your your daughters so, has it been everything that you've expected it to be what are some of the things that you've done to kind of you're exposing them to a lot which i think is awesome but at the same time it's like okay how do you how do you prepare them for the rest of their lives and trying to be yeah. curious during the rest of their lives since they've gotten to experience so much when they're younger that's such a good question well so Last school year, 2021 to 22, we went to 13 countries. Mm -hmm. Um, Egypt was the only African country, but we spent a little time in Europe, including Turkey, and then about five months in Asia. Um, And then went back to Portland for the summer. And now I'm in Guatemala. Um, We're about for seven months. We'll be in Latin America. Spent two months in Peru. Now we're two months in Guatemala. And then we'll go up to Mexico. Um, And this, this, Part of it is focused on trying to get my kids learning Spanish, getting like good conversational Spanish under their belts. Because as you know, in the States, we're not great at language education. And then like, I don't honestly know what's going to happen in the fall. One one really wants to go to school and like have quizzes and bells and all of that. (laughs) The other one would like barefoot backpack. (laughs) She's 13, (laughs) but she's like ready to go live in some village somewhere. So yeah. It's it's hard to know. They have seen a lot and they've seen mm-hmm. things that most Americans will maybe they'll get to one of the 25 amazing sites we've seen. And I think that like the way I see the value of it is not only in the culture and the knowledge and the like kind of academic historical science based learning they're doing. But I'm seeing a lot of personal growth. And, you know, as you and a lot of your listeners know, like when you travel and you're not in resorts and you're not on tour buses, like travel can be really hard. And so we we've been on like really windy, scary roads. We've been on trains where we can we can't even like put both feet down because there's so many people on the train, like one foot can't even fit on the ground. We've been on boats where like I've been vomiting. <laughs> I should have been fine, but you know, so the the grit, the perseverance, the patience, the self-confidence, the growth there has been enormous. And I think when they go back to school and they have to like advocate for themselves or go ask an, an adult who might be intimidating a question, like things that are hard for teens and tweens I think that that's where we're really going to see that they are a little bit different than their peers yeah I can imagine um my children started traveling in the high school and I know my mom was like why can't your kids wait till like you know till they get into college like your sister's kids and I'm like because then I think Mm. it's too late (laughs) it's way too late Yeah, they're adults at that point right so yeah preparing them for the, just the things that you said, as far as having self-confidence and being able to advocate for themselves, I think has a lot to do with the fact that my kids traveled early. So I, I appreciate that too. So just like before, when I asked you about what, you know, if somebody wanted to do this, if somebody wanted to do this world schooling, what would be, you know, 
What would be something that you could tell them that might ease their fears or misperceptions of what this is about to get them to engage with it? Good question. I think there's there's two things that come to mind. One is that there, this is a burgeoning community of people who are adopting a lifestyle. I think of it as a lifestyle more than an educational approach. The education is a piece of it, but to be a world schooler, the, the parents are figuring out their jobs. Right. They're leaving home and family. They might rent their house. They might sell everything and go. So when everything about your life is changing, it's a lifestyle. And since the pandemic, I mean, it has always been a thing people have done, but since the pandemic, it's really exploded. And, you know, if you just get on a Facebook group, one of them has like 50,000 people and the other one has 20,000, like people are doing this. um, And it's because it's possible. And I think a lot of these, these things that people really want to accomplish in their life, the hardest part is just making the decision and knowing that you can do it because there's a, once you make that decision, yeah, we're going to make it happen. We're going to figure it out. You figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, there's, there's some privilege to it. And I don't want to pretend like everybody can make this happen because you've, you know, if you've got responsibilities at home that you can't leave, like that's just your reality. But with remote work and online opportunities, like people afford it and, they can put all the pieces in place when they really want to do it. And then the other piece is just the ability to um, financially afford it. And I think that more people can make that happen than they think. You talked about uh, privilege. How do you integrate or do you integrate, you know, conscientious travel uh, into your programming for your, your kids to understand that of that they do have this privilege and it's it's their experiences more shouldn't be as much about taking as it is experiencing. How do you deal with that in the, in the daily process of doing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a complex, thorny set of issues in there. It's it's really complicated. So we sometimes we'll stay at places that are comfortable to us, mm-hmm. physically comfortable to us. Mm-hmm. The kids have their own bed. Maybe there's a pool. But we've also volunteered uh, through um, a website called Workaway, where mm-hmm. it's like a, you can find a volunteer opportunity, and and the host will provide you room and board. Um, and we've stayed in like pretty uncomfortable places doing that. For instance, a month ago we were in the middle of um, Peru helping a woman who started a library in a tiny village because. There, the closest library was a six-hour drive away, and wow. not a single person had a book in their house in this village. And my kids, of course, in Portland have, you know, hundreds of books. So it was something that we could relate to as really valuable. It was something that we wanted to be a part of. And so we went to this little library in this little village. This was the really windy road I kind of alluded to before in the Andes. Um, and spent a couple weeks helping catalog and organize these books. Um, and it was, we're vegetarians. So like we could barely find any food to eat and it was like all dirt roads and it was, it was not Cusco, you know, it wasn't, there was no Starbucks on the corner, like in Cusco, Peru. This was like a village in the Andes. And so we try to sprinkle in a lot of that. Like, this is how most Peruvians live. Like they, most of them don't live in Lima or Cusco. Right. They're not getting their cappuccinos. Like this is Peru, you know, this is real life. So 
I think like helping them see that, that, you know, by American standards, we're middle-class, but by global standards, we're rich. And mm. we, we have a lot of conversations about wealth and disparity and inequity. We also, in this part of the world, have been talking a lot about colonialism and Europe and, you know, so it's, it's like, there's not one easy answer, but it's just giving them the landscape of like, Portland is not what the world looks like. You know, this is one way that people live, but more people live like this little village in the Andes, whether it's in Africa or in Asia, like this is how most people live. They eat the same thing every day. You know, they're washing their clothes by hand. There's no dryers. They're lucky if they have a washing machine. Like this is, this is what the world is. So that we just have a lot of conversations about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Stephanie, what's something else that you want to cross off your list for you? I know you've got lots of things you probably want your, for your kids, but what about you? So for me, usually when I think about bucket list items, it's it's more of like a, a broader like country that I might be interested mm. in that I haven't seen yet. And the country that really intrigues me is China, because I think as Americans, we don't get a holistic view of this country. We hear only tiny little snippets of it and it's massive and there's the coastal cities and there's this entire chunk to the West. And I, I would love to spend like eight or 10 months traveling around China. That's cool. Super cool. So Stephanie, how can folks get connected with you? What do you have out there that maybe they can, that could help them uh, in their journey for world schooling? When I started world schooling, I, I searched and searched get answers to my questions and I didn't find one place that had kind of a comprehensive view of what it means for world school so I actually made it myself so <laughs> I have a go. course the course on Udemy it's called world schooling a comprehensive guide to long-term travel and it's like 18 short modules that talks about how to afford a world schooling lifestyle how to keep your kids socialized and connected to peers how to manage the naysayers in your life, like all the main concerns and questions. So that's on you to me. And my the business I'm starting is called Deliberate Detour. So I'm on Deliberate Detour on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm just helping other families figure out how to create a journey, an extended journey that's right for their family. That is so awesome. I, I wish that would have been there 15 years ago for me uh, when my children were your children's ages. Stephanie, thank you so much for, for coming and sharing uh, your adventure and all the information that you have about world schooling. I think it's so awesome. And I think people should, uh, if they have children and are asked in that, should uh, take a look. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Roger. It was really fun. 